Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and that sometimes messy thing we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit PhotographersEdit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we are back for another episode today, and uh, yet again, a brand new guest. Uh, Anna Wright was kind enough to kind of even entertain the idea of coming on the podcast when I got to connect with her at the United Conference recently, and uh, she is joining us today to talk about a really interesting topic. Thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to be here. Well, and and as I said, you were very kind to just kind of, I think I just threw the idea out there when we chatted at United, but you had a very compelling story, which is that you just got started in photography a couple of years ago, and you you just shared numbers, which we'll talk about in a second um, before we started recording, but it's it's mind-blowing what you've done in just a couple of years. Naturally, this is something that we should share with photographers out there because you're doing something right to be booking as many clients as you have. So we're going to talk about what it means to go from a brand new photographer to fully booked in just a couple of years. We'll do that in just a little bit. We normally start the podcast episodes out with a conversation about brand position. So I'm curious, and you're based whereabouts in Texas, Anna? I am in San Antonio, Texas right now. Okay. So a pretty large market. And of course, the the significance of brand position, as I've explained before, uh, especially for our our, our new listeners, is setting yourself apart. What is what it is about your brand that is actually unique. You know, a lot of photographers talk about the significance of themselves. Obviously, we are unique. But for somebody that doesn't know you, we still have to be able to communicate what distinguishes your brand, your photography service from others. So how would you sum up that idea right now, Anna, this kind of early stage in your business? Yeah. So right now I am a hybrid wedding and portrait photographer. Okay. I specialize in capturing the beauty of now um, and documenting details that tell stories. I preserve memories that I want to sustain people through hard times and that bring them happiness to look back on during joyful seasons. Okay. So this is interesting because it touches on, well, a, a number of ideas that are actually pretty common to a lot of photographers. And this is where the, the the homework almost of developing a brand position comes in. What what element uh, or what aspect of capturing these moments, preserving memories, more specifically, do you feel like is unique to you? The way, maybe the way that you approach it, maybe there's a backstory uh, that makes those ideas important to you? Is there something that comes to mind? Absolutely. Um, there's a huge backstory. And so I have been trying to kind of narrow down what my brand position is um, and how I, you know, my why. I guess actually when I met you, I was at Shauna and Jordan Cooney's uh, Finding Your Why class. Yeah. So it's just so important to me that people have these memories. I didn't have them. And I'll, I'll kind of go into that a little bit more later, too. 
Um, but I didn't have them growing up. And mm. so it just, I just feel this need to help people create those and make those legacies. Um, and I think I have a way of making people f- feel comfortable and appreciated and I can make, I can meet them where they're at today. Yeah. And you know, that there's something about, first of all, understanding the significance of why we do what we do. It can make such a big difference in filtering out irrelevant activities so that we can manage our time more efficiently as business owners. It also enables us to be able to focus in on this so-called brand position that we're discussing. And sometimes it's about offering a service that's unique. Um, There are plenty of photographers that are doing some version of what you're offering. So it may not be the service as you continue to develop what this brand position looks like, what it sounds like. It may not be so much the service as the way that you communicate the message that could potentially be unique as well. And um, so, I mean, it's a very massive topic, but I like that you're starting with why. Um, Speaking of that Simon Sinek book, um, understanding what motivates you, because that can play a significant role in how you develop your messaging um, in the near future. And that, that'll probably make an even bigger, I mean, I, I can only imagine having a more powerful message than you already do booking even more than you already do. You're going to have to hire on other <laughs> photographers or something as you go into 2020. But I, I love that you're considering that. And, and I wish you the best too, and kind of refining that message because it makes all the difference in the world. And again, for everybody listening in, if you're not familiar with this idea of a brand position, it's, it is something that we talk a lot about here on the podcast, because unfortunately there's not a lot of conversation about it in the industry. You know, fortunately, the idea of understanding why we do what we do, this has become a much more popular point of conversation. But then the question after that, of course, is, okay, how does that translate to the business model that I develop? And that business model is going to center around a brand position or focusing on a particular value proposition that's unique to the market. And then I have to figure out how to communicate that to my target client. And so brand position actually plays a really significant role in how we're able to develop our business and ultimately market effectively. And um, so we spend a lot of time talking about it here. And, and I appreciate you kind of entertaining the conversation, Anna, even as you're working through developing that. But let's keep moving too, because you are, you're only a couple of years into your business, but I know that you've learned a lot. Otherwise, you wouldn't have had the success that you have. What would you say thus far would be the biggest lesson that you've learned or maybe the most important piece of advice that you could communicate to a fellow photographer? Yeah. So if anybody is, you know, brand new, the one thing that I would want them to know is that you cannot do it alone. Mm. And some people say, well, I take the pictures, I edit them, I answer my emails. So I do it alone. But whether that support's coming from your spouse, your friends, family, outsourcing, some kind of mix of those things, I don't believe that you can be the best version of your business and yourself without help to reach your full potential. There's just people who are better than you at some things and can help you elevate your business. And I don't think you should be afraid to do that. So finding people that are better than you at particular activities, that would be one reason to include other people. Are there other particular reasons that you found most valuable? I, for per- personally for me, the community that mm. I found has just been phenomenal. I can't imagine running a business without having friends in the industry and people to bounce ideas off of, uh, just 
I don't, I just think people need that community and you need, you just need people. And so you should look for them and seek them out and build that tribe around you so that you can succeed. Yeah, we really do need people. It's, it's interesting, actually. I was having a conversation with my girlfriend recently about this very thing. She she knows that I crave community. And one of the things that she pointed out, which was quite poignant, was the fact that I tend to spend a good bit of time through the week, really, on my own as an individual. Despite the fact that I have a team, most of that communication happens remotely or virtually. And, um, and so I'm still working on my own, whether it's in a coffee shop or... I'm just in my apartment or whatever the case may be. And she was pointing out how she's around people all day. It's something that she's used to. And and there was this realization, which is she doesn't quite crave time with people the same way that I do because she's used to being around people all day uh, in the field that she works in. And so I, you know, this has been a point of conversation in our industry, but I, I think it stands to be repeated the significance of community not only for the potential benefit that comes from, as you were pointing out, Anna, throwing ideas around brainstorming together, which I think is really great, Mm -hmm. but then also just having that human connection. It's so important. Um, It it can make such a big difference, not only in the health of our business, but our personal psychological health. It's so important to surround ourselves with good people. And that's a really, really great reminder. Yeah. And I'm a stay-at-home mom of three. And so my week is with little people. And <laughs> yeah. I, I'm constantly mom, 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 mom. And so having a community of like-minded adults to really connect with has just been so life-giving because mm. uh, I love being a mom. It's absolutely the best thing, but having something that I can just be Anna while I'm doing yeah, is just amazing. Yeah, because it is a different kind of time. I mean, our, our kids, I have two kids myself. They're a bit older now, 17 and, and uh, about to be 15. And, you know, the, the conversations that I can have with them are incredible, but it's just not the same experience that I might have with somebody who is from the industry, for example, or the same kind of conversation that I would have with Jill. Um, it is just a different dynamic. So having kid time and family time, specifically with kids, is great. But then having adult time or having time with fellow adults more specifically that are part of our industry that can relate on multiple levels, it really does make all the difference in the world. And we need to prioritize that. I'm still amazed. You know, we've Sadly, we've actually cut back on the number of get-togethers in the, the local photography community, largely because people just wouldn't, weren't willing to actually show up in person. It was easy to type on Facebook. But there wasn't right. a willingness to commit to actually getting together in person. And there's so much benefit there. And yeah, it might be a 20 or 30 minute drive. But what's on the other side of that 20 or 30 minute drive can make a big difference. And again, your business's health, but also your personal, emotional, psychological health. And um, we, we really can't minimize that. So I appreciate you reminding us all of that. Talk to me about time, though, because you're married, you've got kids, it's, it's a busy life. And then you're running a business on top of that and a busy one at that. How do you kind of balance both? And I know balance is kind of a funny word, but I guess maybe more specifically, how do you manage your time effectively so that you get a breather, that you have time for your husband, you have time for your kids and you have time for the business simultaneously. Are there particular workflow ideas that have made a big difference? Well, it's not easy. I will, I will definitely start with that. It is not easy. I'm busy and it gets tiring sometimes and learning to say no has been a really important step this year, especially this fall. Hmm. Um, right now, my husband is deployed overseas. Wow. So 
I'm single momming of three. I have yeah. seven, five, and almost two year old. So I don't really work during the day um, except nap time. And then everything else is when the kids go to bed. We are in San Antonio, which is away from home. Hmm. So I rely a lot on babysitters to be able to go to my sessions. And especially during busy season, like right now, I try to schedule my babysitters so that I have an hour either before a shoot or after a shoot to like just have some me time, even if that means that I'm just in my car having a snack by myself yeah. or reading something that I just want to read for fun. Totally get it. Yep. Um, I do a lot of that. During the day, I'm pretty organized. I get the kids to school, clean the house, you know, basic maintenance stuff that need to do work during nap time. And then after nap time, I don't really touch work again until the kids are in bed around eight. Wow. And then on the weekends, I try to schedule at least one full weekend off every month just to have time with them and recoup. And when my husband's home, you know, it looks a little bit different, but especially while he's gone, I just have to prioritize family time. And so my spring, I've really cut back on my spring schedule and just, you know, not feeling fulfilled by numbers only, but by growth in my work, by those relationships um, and by how my kids are feeling, how I'm feeling. All of those things help me to keep my priorities straight. Well, I have to to kind of give away a little bit of our upcoming conversation. You told me before we started recording that you photographed something like 70 sessions this year. Is that right? That's true. Yeah. So it's just a mind blowing number, but I guess what I'm really curious about here, and and first of all, I have a lot of respect for the way that you're prioritizing your kids and time with them and kind of pushing work aside while you're taking care of them. But then if you're not working until eight o'clock in the evening and you're shooting 70, we'll say, you know, 60 to 70 clients, 70 sessions in a year, plus the weddings that you're also photographing, this is a lot of different people, clients to manage. How do you get it all done in that relatively short amount of time with just the evenings to work? So a few things that I think really help me, my shooting style is such that it's almost right in camera. Okay. So my editing does not take very long. I have my editing pretty down and I have a system, you know, I go to a shoot, I come home, I upload everything. I usually post sneak peeks that night or the next day. And then I call it, I have to give myself a little bit of space. I'll call it, you know, 24, 48 hours later. And then I edit it and it doesn't take me that long. I was lucky enough to get introduced to Dubsado early, early, like before I really even needed it probably. But learning Dubsado before I was busy has allowed me to have everything just ready to go. So there's not much that's not automated for me, which is super helpful. Awesome. I believe in, you know, working in bulk. So I'll plan out my social media. I do my blogs. You know, I, I try to do everything in batch work. And so that way I just get it done and can move on to the next thing. Wow, that's great. It's so concise, but you, ob- you obviously have a system down. So the three points that you mentioned, you're shooting well in camera to begin with. Um, and are, are you shooting in manual mode or are there particular settings that you have set up for your camera that makes that easier? 
Um, I shoot in manual every session. Okay. I focus on exposing for skin tones. That's the most important thing to me. Okay. And so, you know, I look at my white balance while I'm shooting and I make sure that my aperture is correct to make sure everybody's in focus. So I don't overshoot during a session, Yeah. Um, which cuts down on culling time and just go from there. Do you, do you tend to shoot a certain number of images per scene or scenario? Um, because I know it's so a lot of photographers just way, way overshoot and, and then they end up with way more images than they need to, to call. But of course that just adds to the amount of work and then it complicates the calling process. Cause in your, instead of 10 images or instead of, you know, like three images, you've got 10 to call through and you're not sure if you should keep this one or that one. And just, it complicates the whole process. So do you limit yourself to the number of images you photograph? Not in the way that I, you know, count in my head and I'm at 10 and I'm done, but you know, if I have a spot that I love and I have a full length, a mid length, a close up, and I'll probably keep them in that same spot for maybe two or three poses. Okay. Um, because moving takes time, and if we have good light, I don't see the point in moving if they look great. Yeah. So we go through usually two to three poses in each spot, and I try to keep my sessions usually to about an hour. Engagement sessions will go longer. A lot of my clients will do two outfits, and. I'd say engagements are the ones I have the hardest time not like keep shooting because they're usually like so cute and happy and in love and they're all about it. There's no, you know, grumpy kids that are done or whatever. So engagement sessions, I really have to tell myself like, okay, you have it. Like (laughs) go to the next thing. Yeah. And then I also learned a trick, which I think is amazing and everybody should do it from the Amy and Jordan shooting and editing class. If you cull backwards, you find the best images first because people start to relax. So if you go the other way, you're like, oh, well, that one's okay. Maybe I'll keep that. And then two more pictures, you're like, oh, well, that one's okay. Maybe that one's better. I don't know. But if you go the other way, you'll usually see the best one first. And that can save you a lot of time because you know you found the best one. So the... the is that going backwards with each particular scene or scenario or is that literally yes. starting it? Okay. All right, cool. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I do it. I guess you could do it either way, but I usually do per scenario. Okay. And that makes sense. They're relaxing as you're photographing. So the best one is, is toward the end, easier to find. Um, something that I used to teach when I was teaching Lightroom Workflow too is, and, and it sounds like maybe you're already doing this, but a lot of photographers would delete uh, or mark as you know bad in one form or another, flag them, star them, or otherwise, the images that they didn't want to keep. And my suggestion was instead pick the image that you like and just can ignore the rest. I mean, if you've got a, even if you only have three or four images and you pull that up in a sur- in what's called survey view in Lightroom simply pick the image that stands out at you as the best in that scenario or in that, that series of, of images and move on to the next set rather than looking for the images that you want to get rid of. That tends to complicate the process again. I agree. Yep. This is, this is really great. Okay. So shoot right in camera, starting with Dubs Auto, you mentioned that maybe you started even earlier than you needed to. I would argue otherwise. I think it, for all photographers, the first thing or two things that they should do is get a CRM set up and start with QuickBooks online so that you've got your accounting in place. You've got a customer management or a customer relationship management system in place so that you can automate as much as possible. 
You don't have to go back and do all of this, this kind of back work for accounting, which can just be so tedious and mind numbing and frustrating and stressful. If you do those two things from the get go before maybe even start booking clients, you're in a great place. I think it's great that you started off right away with a CRM. And then you also talked about working in batches and or in chunks of time. Mm -hmm. Do you usually block that off in your calendar? or How do you plan for that? Well, you have kids, so you know, schedules change. And True. yeah, I, I have a hard time with hard schedules. I start out my week knowing what I need to get done that week. But I think being flexible is key. So, you know, the other night, my kids were awesome. Like it was the best night I've had with them <laughs> in yeah. so long. And so I just had this extra 40 minutes to get some stuff done instead of, you know, kind of relying on my schedule per se, I just jumped in and stomped images for 40 minutes on blog stomp. So that now I have extra blog stuff ready to go. So I just think it's about really creating time and finding those pockets. And when you have a pocket of time, you can't multitask and expect to get everything done. So if you have a pocket of time, pick one of your priorities and get that done. And then the next time you have a pocket, work on that. So I just think as long as you know what you have to get done in a certain amount of time and you're meeting those hard deadlines for especially busy moms, just maximizing the free time that you do have and batch working in that is the key. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a wonderful balance. And it, and it kind of takes away the the sense that you're almost micromanaging yourself right like you have to function within this particular schedule i one of the reasons that i love being a business owner is that it gives me flexibility so i like the idea that you're suggesting which is understand what needs to be done and then fit that into pockets of available time then you can you can mix that up the schedule can change you can have variety you can say you know what this can still get done on time right now i want to read a book or i want to watch a movie or i want to go do whatever it is that that you like to do Mm -hmm. but it gives you some flexibility and i think that's a really great balance yeah and i think it's healthy to not beat yourself up if you know if i went if i base my success on how many days my schedule looked the way i started it in the morning I probably would have given up a long time ago because (laughs) it's just not real life. You know, maybe you're having a great day and then your kid gets sick or something happens with a client and that does take priority and you just never know what the day is going to throw at you. So just making week long goals, month long goals and just kind of working through them, I think is the best. That's perfect. I love this. Well, this has been a really great conversation already, but I want to jump to the next question, which has to do with a favorite business self-help book or otherwise that you've read or listened to in the last little while what what comes to mind so this was fun there's so many i love listening to audiobooks and podcasts so i tried to pick the three that i think just are really inspiring the first one is the magnolia story and that's by chip and joanna Gaines. maybe maybe you've heard of them <laughs> yep it was so amazing listening to that, especially on audiobooks. I thought that they just had come out of nowhere. And I think we do that to people mm. a lot. You know, we see somebody who is crazy successful and we just imagine that they've like always been that successful. And then finally someone found them. Yeah. And then that's how they made it. And 
I don't think that's ever actually the case. So listening to Chip and Joe talk about their hard times and people not thinking they were awesome and almost failing, that's just really, you know, inspiring and relatable because if they can make it and if they still had hard times, then you can give yourself some grace. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, the the realization that it didn't just happen overnight. I can't remember the phrase right this second um, in reference to overnight success that has happened over time. There's this really poignant short phrase, but it's true. It's easy to see the Instagram style success and and not realize what, what all is behind that. And understanding that there are similar stories to yours can be really encouraging. So Magnolia story, we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes. What's another one? Okay. The next one is the book 168 hours. And I forgot to write down who that one is by, but it's a book about we all have the same amount of time in the week and what you choose to do with it is kind of up to you. And so you can say, well, I didn't have time for that, but you're really saying that wasn't a priority. And so it's just really great to listen to that book and just know like you have these hours and track what you're spending your time on because where your time goes is where your heart and your mind are. And if you want to build a business during that season, a lot of your time needs to be in your business. If you, you know, anytime you want to succeed at something, that's where your time needs to go. It doesn't need to go to scrolling Instagram or complaining about not having time. Just take that 15 minutes and do something. So it's a good one. It, it, yeah, that, and that's by Laura Vanderkam. And we'll link yes, to this in the show notes it. as well. But it's so true. We have time for what we want to make time for. And when I hear somebody tell me that they're, quote, too busy, I tend to kind of laugh. There, there are very few people that I know of that are truly too busy to, especially spending time with somebody else, you know, get together for coffee or lunch or go to a photographer, get together or whatever the thing may be. Um, it's easy to say we're too busy and we may be, we may have made ourselves busy, but the reality is that we can, first of all, function more efficiently. And that's so much of what we talk about here at the podcast. But then also if we choose to prioritize giving time to a particular activity, we'll carve out that time for it. And Mm -hmm. we have to take responsibility for that. So that's a great reminder as well. You mentioned a third book. What's, which one is that? So the third one's not actually a book. It's a podcast. One of the very first podcasts I found besides Boca (laughs) was the Gold Digger podcast with Jenna Kutcher. Jenna, yeah. And so the thing that Jenna kind of introduced to me that I never really thought of and almost avoided at the beginning of my um, photography business was the value of you in your business. And Jenna, probably more than anybody else in the podcast world, is so big on putting your face out there and getting personal with your audience and just trying, you know, really trying for that human connection, not just showing pictures. And the thought that people wanted to know about me, I thought was so weird. And I felt so strange, you know, posting about myself, but she was right. And I saw such a huge increase in my actual bookings and my Instagram following grew when I started just being me and Hmm. showing up. And how does that translate on a very practical level to 
business. I understand the idea that that a potential client could connect with you personally, and maybe they're just naturally more interested in you as somebody that they want to photograph them. But beyond that, would you would you say that there are other practical ways that you're able to translate that to actual business? So I think I've made some of my best vendor relationships on Instagram hmm. because not only just clients, but vendors want to get to kind of know you too. So vendors, I've booked so many brides off of Instagram, which is really exciting just because they do find you and maybe they find you because they're looking at a wedding venue hashtag, but then they're there and they get to know your heart on a day-to-day level. And so they reach out to you. They invite friends. Hey, this girl, you know, she does really pretty work. I think you would like her. They invite other people. So it just grows your reach. And especially for me, I won't be in San Antonio forever. We are a military family. So the idea for me to have potential clients and kind of pockets of people all over the country is exciting because I don't know where I'm going to be in a year from now. Yeah. Wow, that's really powerful. It, it doesn't hurt to um, to step beyond the 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 box of professionalism, at least in, in a traditional sense, as we as we knew it back in the day. But to put yourself out there and give potential clients an opportunity to connect with you beyond just a camera and a pretty picture. It's yeah. it, it's a it, it almost seems in some ways cliche these days, but it's such a good reminder. And and I have to, I personally in particular have to remember the significance of kind of being, um, I guess, to, to borrow another word that we hear a lot these days, vulnerable, and to put myself out there for the sake of um, connecting with people on a deeper level. I think it's it's a great reminder. So we'll make sure to list that uh, the podcast as well as those two books, 168 Hours and Magnolia Story, in the show notes. And for everybody listening in, just a quick reminder, bocapodcast.com. You can see the show notes for each of these episodes. Haley does a wonderful job of putting together just this wealth of, of a resource in the show notes. So take advantage. We'll have links to the, to the resources that we discussed today, the talking points. It's kind of a review of the episode and you can find it in the show notes in your podcast app too, if your podcast app provides that. So do take advantage, but let's keep moving um, to kind of one of my favorite questions, honestly, here at the podcast these days, the most unusual item in your camera bag that allows you to, or enables you to be a better photographer. What comes to mind? Yeah, I love this one too. Um, And it's a little ridiculous, but you will never find me without fruit snacks and Jolly Ranchers. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But what flavor Jolly Rancher? I have to know. Um, Fruit Punch. Oh, yes. Okay. Very good. (laughs) And then the the fruit snacks, any particular brand? Not really. My kids always buy them. And so I just need that sugar fix usually. Yeah. And so I just throw them in there. That's fun. Wait, you know, my mom used to... We didn't eat a ton of sweets growing up, but there was one thing that we would get in our lunch, um, that we, in our bag lunch that we would take to school with us when we lived in the States. I grew up in Japan, and so we'd, we'd homeschooled and maybe had lunch at home at that point. But going to, taking lunch to school, it was fruit snacks was one of the main kind of, well, snacks that we would look forward to. And um, I, they had gushers, I think at one point it was maybe <laughs> something that we had in there. And then there was a... Um, there was a fruit snack brand that did sharks. For whatever reason, I remember sharks. Do you know which one that was? I don't. It's but... totally random, I know. But um, anyway, <laughs> fruit snacks was a big part of my childhood. And I do like a chewy fruit candy, so I can absolutely relate. And Jolly Ranchers, I have to say that I tend to go to um, the green apple and watermelon are my two favorite, but I can do fruit punch too. 
Yeah, I I really like all of them. And <laughs> that's so crazy that you grew up in Japan. I had no idea about that, but we actually lived in Japan for three years before moving to San Antonio. Oh, no way. And we might be moving back there. So we're really excited about that. And we love Japan. Whereabouts in Japan did you live? We lived in northern Japan um, on a base called Misawa. Okay. So way up in Aomori Prefecture. Yeah. Did you learn to speak any of the language while you were there? A little bit. And so we just had the best time there. And I wish I would have known how to use my camera, you know, when we actually lived there. Yeah. Uh, it's it's an absolutely incredible country. And I could I could also just kind of go on about it for, for a long time. <laughs> I spent about 10 years of my life there. And so it's almost like a second home. And I can still speak conversationally. I, I learned to speak when I was a kid. So it really stuck. And I learned to speak with their accent. And um, it's fun to, to surprise uh, the, the random Japanese person in a store, you know, wherever we might connect with conversation because they're not yes. expecting this, this white dude to, to start speaking Japanese to them. But nonetheless, the, the culture is, is a beautiful thing. Um, the level of respect and honor that they show, particularly show to guests, is, is a really interesting thing that we got spoiled with there in Japan. And come back to the States, you know, we're just, we're a commoner. But yes. the way that we were treated there, um, for the most part, was, was really amazing. Of course, the food is incredible. The rich history and, and the beautiful artisanship innate to that history is, is quite, quite incredible as well. And we lived in the country most of the time, um, okay. right amongst rice paddies and near a volcano. Um, but then there's something to be said, too, for, for that busy city life. It, you can see this kind of wide range of experiences when you go over there. But that's really cool. We may have to, um, to, to connect in some more conversation about that in the future. Yeah, for sure. So talk to me then about um, this, this conversation around just getting started in photography. I mean, we, we, I want to talk about success and how you got to where you're already at here within the last couple of years. But I also want a little bit of the backstory. I'm curious how this whole thing got started. Why photography and how did you get started in it? Yeah, it's, um, it's a really kind of crazy way how it all came about. I have always, always loved pictures. It's always been something that I've been a consumer of. I've never hesitated to drop money for a good photographer. And I always wanted to be able to do it. But I was busy. I went to college for nursing. So I have a four-year degree in nursing. And after college, I commissioned in the Air Force. And so I was an Air Force officer. I had a very busy job. And then my husband and I started our family. And so it just never seemed like the time to really learn yeah. how to use my camera. I had this Nikon DSLR, I think it was 5100 or something, yeah, one, of the, yep. one of that series. Mm -hmm. And my husband bought it for me. And I remember taking pictures and I had it in A, which I thought was auto. And just thinking, why isn't that background blurred? How come <laughs> when she takes the picture, that background is so blurred? And when I take it, that background is not blurred. Yeah, And... It was so frustrating to me, but I was busy. I did not have the time to dedicate to photography. So fast forward to moving to San Antonio. I was working full time as a nurse and nursing is really hard. I had gotten out of the Air Force, but I was still working on a busy cardiac step down unit, 
12 hour days that usually turned into 14 hour days. Wow. I was seven months pregnant with my third child and I was just really burnout. Mm. And my husband, who is still an Air Force officer, had gone to this leadership conference and I can't remember who all the speakers were, but it was it was very empowering for him, I guess. And I'll never forget, I'd been looking at schools to go back and get my master's because I just couldn't be a bedside nurse anymore. I just couldn't do it. And I was looking at Georgetown and Vanderbilt and all these amazing master's programs. And my husband said to me in the bathroom while we were bathing the kids, what if you just didn't get your master's? And I said, well, I have to because I can't do this anymore. And he said, well, what if you tried this photography thing? And I kind of laughed at him because there was no photography thing at that point, like at all. Yeah. And he said, isn't that like, if you could just do anything, what would you want to do? And I said, well, I would want to be a photographer and take beautiful pictures of our family and other families and around the world. And he said, well, instead of going into student loan debt for your master's, why don't you just take that money and take a class and start doing free shoots and see what happens in a few years. Wow. And I thought, okay, well maybe. And so I did. And I still don't have my master's because this took off way faster than either one of us could have imagined. But having his permission to spend the money on something that seemed like hobby or kind of indulgent and to take that time away from my family, because I was still working full time until I had my third kiddo. So I was working full time. I was doing shoots on off days and classes at night. And we were just both in it because we knew I couldn't maintain the bedside nursing job anymore. So that's where it all started. And I just kind of dug my heels in and I didn't want to fail. So I just worked. Well, it makes all the difference in the world to have supportive people around you and then to have the kind of drive that you did to just, as you say, put your head down and make it work. Um, At the end of the day, it's funny how a simple concept, you know, we, we like to think at times, um, I don't know if it makes us feel better in some way, but that there's some complicated approach to getting something done and doing it well. A lot of times it's just the simple principles. And one of those is just to do it and you did it and you made it work. And we're going to talk more specifically about why here in just a second. But when we talk about the idea of going from, well, brand new photographer to fully booked in just a couple of years. What does that actually look like? And and I know we alluded to this briefly earlier, but we just break it down one more time for our listeners. How many weddings and sessions did you shoot this year? In 2019, I'm ending with about 70 portrait sessions and six weddings, seven second shooting weddings. Wow. I hosted two workshops. Oh, wow. And two additional styled shoots. My goodness. Yeah. How do you have the time? I like <laughs> despite our conversation so far, I'm still like, huh? What? How did you do how did you make that happen? That's incredible. That really, really is incredible. But the main reason that I bring that up is because um, I want to give context to our listeners, you know, that there are different business models for different photographers out there. And and for some yeah. it might be that they only want to shoot 
six to 10 weddings a year and maybe a few portrait sessions here and there. So full time can look different for different people or fully booked for different people. But uh, 70 sessions, six weddings, and then the workshops on top of that. Um, it, really, really incredible. And, and I just have to give you major props and congratulations on what well, you've accomplished you. so far. No, 100%. It's really impressive. <laughs> I, I wish I had seen that kind of success as a photographer. That's really incredible. But what what does this look like on a very practical level? Because it took something to get there, and, and it is important to put into practice certain very basic principles that are really applicable not just to, to business but life in general, as you mentioned putting your head down, getting it done, but how did you get it done? Are there key ideas that you applied to make this happen? I think there are. One of them, and this is going to look different for everybody, but like I touched on, my personality is that I was afraid to fail. Hmm. So when you really don't want to fail at something, you will find a way to succeed. And that kind of has been the guiding light through most of this. I also, I think a lot of people, they start their photography businesses when they're young because that's, you're young and you want to be a photographer, but I already had a full career as a military officer, as a nurse, which are both careers that involve multitasking, Hmm. dealing with difficult situations constantly, making people feel comfortable meeting people where they are, whether it's their best day or their worst day. You know, I've held people's hands as they're passing away and I've watched babies be born. I've seen all of those things. So I think some people get really nervous, you know, meeting clients or putting themselves out there. But in my perspective, at the end of the day, as meaningful as they are, they're pictures. If you have to redo them, you can. If you have to pay somebody money back, you can. If somebody's mean to you, you can move on. There are such serious things that while running a business is serious, you can make it work without so much stress for me. Just having those trainings behind me, I just think made it a lot easier to walk into the actual business owner part and the client relationship part and that really is so much more than just pretty pictures. So I, before you keep going, because I know you have other ideas here to share, but this is interesting. So the perspective that you gain from those careers, you talked about the significance of multitasking. Um, you talked about learning how to engage with people where they are, which, of course, requires empathy. It's so, so important. I, I can only imagine, and maybe this is just way too stereotypical or presumptive, but organization and structure structure tends to be synonymous with a military career. Would you say that that's also something that you learned? Absolutely. Yeah, I am very organized. I've always been a planner. And so those just kind of innate pieces of me and then they were honed, you know, for 10 years in the military and being a nurse. And so it was just a really nice set of skills to help me transition. And the reason I point these out, I guess, ultimately is, of course, not everybody can can claim that they have had a similar career to yours, but these are principles that can be learned. Um, there, are, there are books regarding empathy or how to be more empathetic and how to engage with others 
more effectively, kind of endless books probably at this stage, organization, organization, the same thing. I mean, even the 168 hours book that you mentioned earlier can play a significant role in that regard, time management specifically. When you talk about multitasking, can you kind of expound on what that idea means? Because you even alluded to earlier the fact that we don't tend to function well multitasking. So what does that look like on a very practical level for a business owner? Yeah. So I don't think you can multitask well when you are doing specific things for your business. Like you shouldn't be editing and typing an email, but during a shoot, you have to multitask. You have to be looking at the back of your camera and watching for the light and poses and communicating with your clients and just keeping like during a shoot, that's the time for multitasking Hmm. because you have to, there's so many different factors that go into it. So that's when I think the multitasking really comes into play. And for somebody that doesn't have your background or training, is there a particular way do you think that they can learn to be better at that? I think that it just requires discipline. So practice, you have to practice until those things become so easy that it doesn't bother you that you're multitasking anymore. Mm. That's really, what is is it 10,000 hours to become an expert at something something like that. Yeah. So you just have to keep practicing until it starts to become second nature and deep breathing exercises for people who get nervous or kind of anxious about doing so many things at once, just taking that step back. Maybe that means getting to a session 20 minutes early so that you pre-plan out. We're going to go here, here, and here. And if this happens, we're going to do this. And if mom says this, we're going to do this. Maybe it means questionnaires and learning as much as you can ahead of time. I think it just looks different for everyone, depending on what their trigger is that makes them anxious about parts of their business. Yeah, but you point out some great, great ones there. I mean, first of all, just developing a certain awareness of the moving parts involved in that particular shoot, even if it's just taking the time to write it down or make note of it on your phone, the moving parts involved, number one. Two, giving yourself a bit of a cushion when it comes to the time frame involved because uh, us artist types um, can easily push things to the last minute and then we create (laughs) stress for ourselves. We create stress for our our clients or potential clients and that is just not a great place to be. So building a cushion in is really important as well. This is is really great. Okay, so when we talk about the ideas that made a difference for you that have enabled you to move quickly Mm -hmm. in your business, first of all, the decision not to fail and Tony Robbins talks about the significance of an actual decision or a choice. When you truly make a choice, there's not really a secondary option. And and that's what you're exemplifying here, a decision, a very strong one at that not to fail. Secondly, you have gained perspective from your previous careers, but they're in the realm of multitasking, learning how to engage with people more effectively, empathy, uh, and organization. And by the way, I have to, to jump mention here too, when we're talking about learning how to engage with others, the empathy involved in that process. And, and as you alluded to, Anna, the, the potential nervousness that, that may kind of pop up in that process. I think a lot of photographers speak to the fact that there are this idea that there are introverts and, you know, introversion is a behavioral tendency. It's not us that our identity is not in that word, but is a behavioral tendency that comes from likely from experience or experiences in our past and, and, the result, the psychological results of those experiences, learning to understand where that feeling comes from, breaking that down in a way that you understand it and ultimately feel comfortable with it will enable you to step beyond it. 
And I think it's really important for everybody listening in to keep in mind that these tendencies are not our identity and that we can step beyond them if we're willing to take the time to understand where they come from, Uh, not just stop at a simple label. It's way too easy to label ourselves. We can go way beyond that if we're willing to. So I just want to throw that reminder out there. Yeah, that's so true. Okay, so we we covered those first two points. Let's keep going because I know you've got a few ideas to share with me. What's, What's the third big idea? Um, You have to invest in education when you want to start. Like you just have to. Uh, The specific things that I was able to invest in have just made all the world of difference. I never would have such a short editing time or my Dubsado workflows set up if I wouldn't have sought out educators. So the very first classes I took were the Amy and Jordan shooting and editing class and the posing class. And kind of coinciding with that, my dear friend, Emily, who is also in San Antonio, I, I don't know what I did to even deserve her friendship, but she would just come over and talk to me about Dipsado and contracts and location scouting. And she would fill in all of those little gaps that you just have with online classes. I remember specifically going to a park with Emily and offering to pay her to come help me because I just couldn't figure something out. And the thing that I couldn't figure out was toggling my focal point. And so I'm showing her, you know, but I'm doing the same thing as you. And why isn't that in focus? And then she so kindly pointed out to me that I could toggle and I'd had this camera for years and never even knew. So having somebody local to meet up with and just pour into me, Hmm. I've just been incredibly lucky. And I, I don't believe that I'm anywhere near where I want to be. Like this is year two. I have so many ideas and things that I want to do in the future. So that ongoing education is so important to me. I'm starting a mastermind this winter with Vanessa Hicks and have been doing, you know, different online classes to learn different skills that I just need to work on. And there's so many things that are out there. There's just an abundance of resources to help you grow in your business. So find them and seek them out. That's good. And and it requires what you alluded to a second ago, an open mind um, really to the idea that you're never done learning, that you've never figured it all out. And of course, that mentality requires setting ego aside and, and being open to what others have to say. It's, it's so important to maintain that mindset um, this is such a great reminder for all of us, myself included. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. So an investment in education and, and really about everything, shooting, editing, client management, and certainly seeking out, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, community um, with which you can connect and learn from. It's so, so important. That's great. Yeah. And the community piece has just been so huge for me. I was lucky enough to kind of find myself in the rising tide, Amy and Jordan, happy communities. I really was naive to how catty and competitive photography land can be. <laughs> yeah. Because I just didn't know what I didn't know. And those were the first people that I yeah. met. Mm. And I'm just so grateful because now that I've seen what else is out there, 
I just think, well, no wonder so many people quit because yeah. some people are really cruel and surrounding yourself with people who want you to succeed and truly believe in abundance theory and that we are in this together just makes such a difference in everything that you do. Well, it's so. funny, funny you talk about happy community too, because when I think about Jordan and Amy, I mean, you and I, I'm assuming you heard their presentation at United at the United Conference um, a few weeks back, and they've spoken there before as well, but they're, they exude a certain level of happiness and energy from the stage. It's just, it's contagious. I mean, it, it's quite incredible. It is. So it really is so important to surround ourselves with those people. And, and you're right there, you know, there's some cattiness that you can see. And there's also just a certain sense of uh, entitlement and negativity that we also see in, in some pockets in the industry. And it, it, it really is such a bummer, um, I think, surrounding ourselves with with people who are, who are, first of all, kind, but then also proactive in nature, who want to help and build each other up. I, I think it's so, so important. I, I was fortunate enough to be part of a community like that. Uh, really back before Facebook was a thing, it was it was online forums. And there was a particular forum that um, myself and my business partner had become a part of. And, and it made such a big difference personally and professionally to be part of a group of people who were just, they were all about friendship and, and kindness and helping each other out and supporting each other. It was, it was really, really cool. So this is so important to remember. Okay, so starting with the decision not to fail. Um, maintaining a perspective about the importance of, of multitasking. And of course, we gave context to that, but then also how to engage with people um, where they are, showing empathy in an organization. Investment in education um, was the third big idea. What's the fourth one? So uh, this is this is the last like really big thing. And this is another one that will look different for everybody, but outsourcing. And I remember thinking when I was, I say like when I was new, like I'm still really new, but when I was a couple of months in, oh, outsourcing and almost that it was a bad word. And this was before I took, you know, any business courses. And as I got busier and busier and as things just started growing and my pricing was increasing, outsourcing became very attractive. And the first thing that I outsourced was my website. Hmm. And I had made my own website in the spring of 2018. And it was fine, kind of. It was on WordPress and it was light and legible, but it was not, it was not anything that would say high end or book me now um, it didn't really do much for my brand. It was just a place for people that I could send people to if they happened to ask. And my husband and I decided that outsourcing a website would be the best use of some of my income that I had made that year. And it was seriously the best decision we made. My designer, Katie, just took over my whole rebrand for me last fall. I had initially started the company under Lily Love Photography, which is a shout out to my daughter. <laughs> and mainly I chose that name so that people wouldn't know it was me if it did fail. <laughs> and so once I was succeeding, I was pretty excited to change it to Anna K Photography so I could be the face of my own brand that I was building. Yeah. But, you know, having somebody who understands 
web design and how to move people through sites is just so important. And that's not something that I know or want to know really in depth. It's not something that I want to spend time on. So having somebody else do that was just amazing. And she also realizes with me that, you know, websites are not monuments, they're not museums, and that they can change and grow with you. So just having that part of my team has been so, so crucial. I don't think I would be anywhere near where I am now without a legit website like I have. Yeah. And you mentioned Katie with it's with the KateCollective.com, correct? Yes. With Kate Collective. She's and, amazing. And what's interesting is she uses, she used Show It, the Show It platform for your site? She did. And so I'd never actually heard of Show It until the conference last year, like 2018's conference. Yeah. And then I connected with Katie shortly after and I was just all in. Like Show It stands for everything that I want my business to be part of. And so I was super excited to jump on the platform. Well, what's cool about Show It, I mean, it's funny because when they launched their brand, one of the, the big advantages and, and what they kind of the message they ran on really was the fact that you could you could create and customize your site yourself. And that's still true, but it, it really is important to note the significance of a web designer, a UI designer who actually understands how clients will approach a website, what they're looking for, what will tend to convert a potential client, and that the website is designed accordingly. It, we can create them ourselves using ShowIt or potentially other platforms, but having somebody that actually has that knowledge base do it for us, really, really important. And then, of course, still the advantage of ShowIt is that if you need to make a quick tweak or an adjustment, you can do that really, really quickly, just jumping into their platform. It's really powerful. Yeah. Huge fan of Todd Watson, who runs Show It, and uh, he's been on the podcast at least twice now, I think. And uh, so anyway, huge fan of Show It. We'll, we'll put them in the show notes as well for anybody listening in who's looking for a website platform. Can't recommend them enough. We'll link to Kate too. Give Kate a little shout out in the show notes yeah. for anybody that's, that's curious. But I just you- think it's really important. You know, we, yes, I could make my own site, but that's not my expertise. So if I want to be able to grow as a business, I need other experts to pour back into my business so I can focus on what I'm best at, which is working with my clients, taking the actual photos, things like that. My websites are subpar for sure. And it's, I mean, it's fun to play with them, you know, the same way that it's fun to edit our own images. Um, but it, many times, as you point out, it's it, we're not necessarily the best at the thing that we enjoy so much, and we could potentially be spending our time more wisely somewhere else. And and so we have the opportunity to do that. It, there's it, it's great to be a business owner in 2019 because you can literally Google any anything you spend your time on. You'll likely either find a service or a piece of software that will do a lot of that work for you. It's, it's a pretty great time to be running a photography business, but outsourcing, you said website, any other particular areas of your business that you outsource? Those are the big ones right now for business is website, website maintenance. I'm outsourcing a lot of my house stuff right now. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) Using my kids is outsourcing. I'm making them pick up a lot more slack now that the dad's (laughs) gone. Yeah. And helping out with things, you know, just hiring people to do our lawn care, right? Like I don't want to spend four hours cutting grass. That's something that I can outsource that frees up way more time for me. It helps our local community, you know, because those guys, they 
that's their business. So I'm giving them business and then I can come back and work on my business. It means buying, you know, pre-prepped meals so that we're eating real food, but I'm not making hour long dinners every night. Right. So outsourcing a lot of the personal kind of stuff, um, just to get that time back to do the things that matter to me. That's good. Yeah. I, there was, there was a time when we hi- hired somebody to come and clean the house as well. And it was such a benefit because while I wanted to teach my kids, for example, um, and they still had certain responsibilities, but I, while I wanted to teach them the significance of, of those responsibilities and putting the time and the work in, I also wanted to spend time with them, you know, to take them out and go do things with them. And, and so if it meant if I was paying for somebody else to do some of that cleaning work that, you know, growing up, maybe my, my parents may have said, Hey, you're going to go do this. Then it meant that I would have a little bit more time with them. It would have, it would mean that I'd have a little bit more time just to be able to decompress. And that made a big difference in the health of my relationship with my kids and potentially for myself (laughs) as well. Um, so they're really, it's, it's great. I'm glad that you point out the significance of outsourcing some of those personal tasks because it can make a big difference in the amount of time that we have at the end of the day and the mental sanity that we hopefully maintain as business owners. That's really, really good. So outsourcing is the first, our fourth idea rather. And I think you mentioned that you have five ideas to share. What's that fifth one? Yeah. So the fifth one we kind of touched on already, but just having family support, I never would have done this without, you know, my husband's support and not that not that I needed his permission per se, but having the permission and the excitement to invest our money and take my time away has just been such a blessing so that I feel the freedom to actually go do these things and actually grow and not feel guilty about pouring into my business because he also agrees it's for us and for the life that we want later. And so I just, I pray for everyone that they have people that are just in their court that much so that, you know, they have that cheerleader and they don't have to worry about mom guilt or wife guilt while they're pursuing their passion. Cause that can just be so hard Hmm. and just having that support system that is cheering you on, on the home front is, is such a great blessing to have. Oh, that I mean, and that speaks for itself. And whether that's family or friends or some combination of of both, that is so yeah. so important. The last thing that you need to do is have people around you that you have to almost fight um, in order to get past, in order to get that thing done, or in order to run the business, or whatever it might be. And and I love that. I love that you have somebody or people in general around you that are enabling you to do that. I think that's really really powerful. It says a lot for. For your husband too. I know that businesses can be a bit of a strain on a marriage, on a relationship, and um, and I speak from personal experience actually. But it's at the end of the day, um, if you know that that person's got your back and as as you said in your court, it, it just can make all the difference in the world. So that's a really wonderful reminder as well. And this has been a really great conversation, Anna. You you really, I mean, your your past careers speak very loudly for themselves. Your your poise and your presence, your ability to communicate so well um is an absolute treat. Um and your advice and your experience has been wonderful for the sake of our listeners and for myself for that matter. And I really appreciate you making time for the Boca podcast. Will you just share with our listeners where they can follow you online, your website and social media as well? Yeah. Well, thank you, Nathan. It's been an honor to be here. I walked away from the coffee table that morning, just 
totally shocked that I was even considered to be on your podcast. So I'm just so happy to be here. Your listeners can find me on Instagram at Anna K, which is K-A-Y dot photography. And the same thing on Facebook or at Anna K photography dot net. Perfect. And we'll link to that in the show notes uh, for everybody listening in. Again, you can find those at bocapodcast.com and uh, in your favorite podcast player, go to the show notes section. You can see links to resources that we talked about today. You can also see the talking points um, as kind of a, a point of review or a way of review. And uh, we've got this for just endless numbers of episodes, over 300 episodes out there now. So there's a lot of content to be uh, had and taken advantage of. And Anne, I really appreciate you contributing to that again today. Thank you, everybody, for listening in and have an absolutely wonderful day. Thank you so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U dot com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com.